0: Hello, people of the way, blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to 1 Samuel chapter 4, the book of 1 Samuel chapter 4. We continue our study in the Old Testament. Now, we're in chapter 4, but remember our study in chapter 3, where, you know, in verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And then we see how the Lord starts to speak to little Samuel. Remember in verse 7 how the word was not yet revealed to Samuel and then all of a sudden we start to see how the Lord calls out to him and in verse 19 of this is chapter 3 now in chapter 3 how Samuel grew in verse 19 Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. Very beautiful to see how how the lord sees you know how you know in this particular era in the in first samuel we also know that it's it's in the judges era and in the judges era the lord became forgotten but how the lord sees people how the lord sees okay the priests want to be crazy okay there's beautiful little samuel okay the priests want to think hannah's drunk Okay, you know, Eli made his choice, but the Lord honors the prayer of Hannah. And Hannah honors the pr- her prayer, her commitment unto the Lord in presenting her child to the Lord. And then in, in the judge's era, it's like, wow, the Lord becomes forgotten. But we, we remember Deborah. We remember Ehud. We remember Jephthah. Very important. If you're listening for the first time, go back and listen to our study through the book of Judges. It's very beautiful, but it's also very sad. It's also very devastating. And we see what happens in, you know, multiple generations in eras of time when the Lord becomes forgotten. It's not a good thing. And yet there is a remnant. People who honor the Lord People who choose to honor the Lord. And so, you know, in 1 Samuel so far, what the Lord is showing us, he's peeling back the curtain and showing us things. He's showing us rot and he's showing us growth. With the priest, rot, rot, decay. But then with little Samuel and, you know, here in chapter 4, now it's big Samuel, we see growth, I mean, you know, picture the scene with all four in a lineup where, you know, you have three priests. You have high priest, Eli, and then you have his two sons. And then you have Samuel. Who shall we heed? So in this lineup, there's four people. Three are priests and one is just little Samuel. Who is it that we shall heed? Now, carnally speaking, logic Logic would say, well, let's follow the priests. You know, they have the education, they have the formal training, they have their certificates, they have their, you know, all their their plaques on the wall, they have the proud lineage of service unto the Lord. But then when we put on our spiritual goggles and we see and understand formula, holy formula, a very holy recipe, we see things differently. We know that we cannot heed those priests. Yeah, they got, the, they got the clothes, they got the garb, they got the certificates, they got the formal training, they have the education, they have this proud lineage. But when we have eyes to see and ears to hear, we know, whoa, we cannot heed those guys. They're crazy town. But little Samuel, you see, we can heed him. Because with Samuel, the holy formula, it's right. He's with the Lord and the Lord is with him. And so we begin our study here in 1 Samuel chapter 4. And in 1 Samuel chapter 4 verse 1, And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now, I'm going to say something that's going to seem shocking. And I'm going to try and explain it as best I can. So we see here how the word of Samuel spreads through Israel. Now, this is beautiful. This is very beautiful, you know, knowing about holy formula. It's very beautiful. But there's also an ugliness. There's also an ugliness and a sadness to what's happening. Because there's a priesthood. There's a priesthood. There are kohanim. And there are people who are already tasked with the responsibility of shepherding the people so that Israel can be clean before the Lord. There's already a priesthood in place. And, you know, praise be to the Lord that we have Samuel here. But the ugly side of things, the sad thing about what we see is that the priesthood is no longer the priesthood. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, there's a, there's a plethora of priests. But there's no Abodah Abodah Mishkan. You see? And it's sad. I mean, praise the Lord that we see little Samuel here and we see him grow and we see the, the prayer of Mama Hannah was answered. And she honors the Lord and kept her promise to him. And little Samuel becomes big Samuel and he's with the Lord and the Lord is with Samuel. And this is beautiful. It's wonderful. But the ugly side of what's unfolding is that the priesthood, it's rotting. It's become defunct. And it also reminds me of our time. In our generation 2023 AD, where we have a plethora of pastors, a plethora of elders, a plethora of teachers and churches and ministries, pastors, they're everywhere. But they're rotting. They're rotting. They're in decay. And we see prophecies about the last days. How judgment comes first to the church. I mean, with all the plethora of pastors and churches and ministries and elders and teachers, there shouldn't be the prophecy of judgment coming first to the church because judgment should be far from the church. But the prophecy is that judgment comes first to the church. Very interesting. It's sad, I mean, there's a beautiful aspect of like, wow, you know, praise the Lord that that that, that there's little Samuel and that he's big Samuel, but when you look at the priesthood, the sad part is that, wow, the priesthood, they, they're tasked with keeping Israel clean before the Lord, but yet we don't see that happening. Just like pastors. Pastors everywhere. That's what happens when they decay, when they rot, when the Lord becomes forgotten. You see? Very important for all of us to understand. Understand formula. And so that the formula can be right inside of you, inside of me, inside of us. Because Old Testament, New Testament, and still today, there is always a remnant. There is always a remnant. When the Lord becomes forgotten, there is a remnant that says, No, not on my watch. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And it's so beautiful to see Old Testament, you know, like Joshua, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. In the New Testament, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. Remember Philip, the evangelist, and he has his prophetess daughters. Praise be to the Lord. But in the last days, in the last days, can we still say, as for me and my house? When the Lord says that a man's enemies will be those in his own household, Every single one of us has a choice to make. Every single one of us, we have a choice to make. And so we see here, continuing in our study, now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and encamped beside Ebenezer. And the Philistines encamped in Afek So it's a time of war. Israel, they're camped at Ebenezer. And the Philistines, they're camped at Afek and numbers aside, numbers aside, let's, let's forget that, you know, Israel could have a certain number and the Philistines can have a certain number, but let's put all of that aside. When you understand the formula, you know that Israel is in trouble. Because what is their proximity to the Lord? Do they have intimacy with the Lord? Do they have closeness with the Lord? Are they clean before the Lord? Because if they're clean before the Lord, that means the priesthood is doing what they're supposed to be doing. But when the priesthood becomes defunct, how can Israel be clean? And if you're a new listener, go to thewayunderground.com and in the bible study area you see a link for spiritual warfare go and listen to their those studies very important because warfare has a very very specific formula it is not carnal it is not carnal it's holy i mean to win i mean for victory there's a very specific formula for victory And I only say that, you know, if you want. I'm assuming you want to be victorious in battle. I'm assuming you want to be victorious in warfare. And warfare has a very specific formula for victory. Every single one of us has to understand. I mean, who wants to go to war and be assured of defeat? Who wants to do that? victory's formula is very specific and when you understand this it will help you in your walk with the lord it will help you when the battles come and battles come at any moment of any day it happens frequently and knowing that First Samuel in our study here, we're in the judge's era, knowing about defunct priests, knowing that only the clean can clean, knowing that Israel's warriors are unclean, and knowing that the time of war has arrived here in 1 Samuel chapter 4, when you understand formula, when you put all these pieces together of what is happening, you know, Israel is in trouble. Israel is in trouble. And it just so happens we studied this on Sunday in our study in the book of Jude. It just so happens. It just so happens. And for our time in 2023 AD, the time of war has arrived. And the church is in very serious trouble. Very serious trouble. There's a very specific formula for victory. And so, look what happens here in verse 2. Then the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. Now, I don't mean to sound insensitive about warfare and casualties what do you expect? What do you expect? I mean, let's be straight up here. What do you expect? I don't care about numbers. I don't care about the size of each fighter. When you understand formula, you know that Israel, they have no business on the battlefield. Even though they they go to war, war has come and they've prepared for war, they go to war. But when you understand formula, you know, not just that Israel is in trouble, that yes, they are in trouble, but they have no business on the battlefield. They have no business on the battlefield because they're not ready. They're not equipped. They're not clean before the Lord. You say, okay, so let's get the priests. The priest will clean us. Remember, only the clean can clean. What happens when the priests become defunct? What happens when the priests forget the Lord? What happens when the priests no longer honor the Lord? What happens when the priests no longer fear the Lord? How can Israel be clean? You see? And so we look at verse 3. And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? So the people are wondering. The elders are wondering, what happened? We're the elect of God. Why were we defeated? And look what the elders in all their assumed wisdom, look what they decide to do. Look at verse three. Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. You see what's happening? They're treating God like a good luck charm. They're treating the Lord like a rabbit's foot. Listen, as Christians, we're believers. We're believers in Jesus Christ. A blood-bought people. God's people. The good luck charms, the rabbit's foot, the whatevers. It should be anathema from us. Because we're believers. And here we see these The so-called wise guys, they have all this wisdom. And the elders, they're treating something holy like it's a good luck charm. The Ark of the Covenant. Oh, yeah, let's let's have it among us. And listen, Christians do this too. Oh, I'm going to wear this cross around my neck. I'm going to put this cross on the wall in my house. But let me ask a question. Where is obedience unto the Lord? Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be nice and holy. I'm going to put this cross around my neck and I'm going to go do my crack. You see? Oh, I'm going to put this cross around my neck and I'm going to go do my sex. I'm going to wear this cross and I'm going to go get baked tonight. I got the finest crack from Chiapas, Mexico. Where is obedience unto the Lord? You see? Oh, I'm going to put this cross on the wall in my house. And I'm going to do the occult. I'm going to do my Ouija boards. I'm going to do my yoga. I'm going to do whatever. And you know, where is obedience unto the Lord? You see? And so we look at these assumed wise guys here treating something holy as a good luck charm and you say oh wow that's that's terrible that's terrible i can't believe they're doing that but we do it too you see and obedience is better than the fat of rams where is obedience unto the lord And so look what happens here in verse 4. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim. Notice what's happening. The people want answers. The elders, the so-called wise guys, they get this bright idea and the people respond in obedience to the elders. They're obeying the elders. And... Don't get me wrong, obedience to overseers is a good thing, but the formula in the overseers must be right. Very important. There's formula for you and me to, as, as believers in Jesus Christ. And if you and me are to go into a fellowship where there is a pastor or a co-pastor and elders, if you and me are just like the Bible says, submit to your overseers, if you and me, where the formula is right in you and me, and we're to go into a church and as the Bible says, submit to the overseers. Yes, that's a good thing, but it's very dangerous because the formula in the overseer must be right. It has to be right because only the clean can clean. And people want counsel and guidance from pastors and elders, and that isn't a bad thing at all. Overseers have a responsibility to provide counsel and guidance but the formula has to be right in the overseer couples married people seeking marriage counseling from an overseer on his third marriage number 1 such a person will teach you how to be a loser you know you're 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 like a a a, 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 a newly married couple and you're having marital problems, disagreement here, disagreement there. And he's hey, pastor. I need some counsel pastors on his third marriage. Number one, he's a loser. Number two, you submit to that, you're going to be a loser too. You see? Such a person has no business being an overseer because his own home is a mess. And when the home is a mess, what do you think the church will look like? What do you think the church will look like? And if you're listening for the first time, go and listen to our studies through the pastoral epistles, thewayunderground.com. Go and listen to those studies. It's for you so that you can understand And so the elders, they get this bright idea. Hey, you know, we lost in battle. We lost in combat. Let's go get the ark. Let's treat the ark like it's our good luck charm. And the people obey the elders. Remember, obedience to overseers is a good thing. But the overseers, the formula in them must be right. You see? Remember the elders under Joshua? beautiful they wouldn't treat the ark of the lord as as a good luck charm Joshua learned about the error and the sin of Achan remember our study in Joshua remember the decision that Achan made remember the casualties that Israel took very important to understand the lord's ways are not our ways The Lord's ways are the Lord's ways. And it's for you and me to say, you know what? I'm going to submit to the Lord. I'm going to submit to what the Bible teaches. You can have preconceived notions about whatever and anything and everything. But in submission to the word of God, it's you and me that says, wow, I didn't. I didn't know that the the Lord doesn't like me to do my sex and my crack and my drugs and my yoga and my Ouija boards. I didn't know anything about that. But I believe in Jesus Christ. I submit myself to him. And you read the word of God. And then you realize, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness, Lord, I didn't know. Forgive me. And then you burn the Ouija boards. You see? Obedience. Obedience. obedience do not treat the Lord as a good luck charm do not treat holy things as the rabbit's foot oh but I got a cross on my neck where are the cross around my neck I got this you know I wear the cross on my neck so it's okay but where's obedience you see And then we see here in, you know, in in, in, in verse 4. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. Nice family, huh? The priesthood. They're defunct. I mean, if you're listening for the first time, you're like, wow, okay, you got the priesthood. They were with the Ark of the Covenant. But go and listen to our study through chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. You'll see, yeah, we got the priests all right. They're pretty messed up, pretty messed up family. Good job, Eli. Good job, Dad. They're defunct. Remember, under them, under this priesthood, the Lord was silent. There was no widespread revelation. Why was that? The Lord was silent to them, but he spoke to little Samuel. You see. The Lord was silent with the priesthood but he speaks to little Samuel. The Lord honors the prayer of Mama Hannah when the high priest thought she was drunk and the Lord honors her prayer. Go and listen to our studies in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3 and here we are in chapter 4. And holy things, holy matters are being treated like good luck charm we see in verse 5 and when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook you see they think victory is a sure thing oh we're the elect of the Lord we have the ark and they think victory is a sure thing but we look at verse 6 now when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout they said What does the sound of the great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us, exclamation point. Woe to us for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us, exclamation point. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. They don't know the Lord, but they remember his works and what God did to Egypt. And it's very interesting that they refer to God in the plural, where in the Hebrew it's, you know, who will deliver us from the mighty, from, from the hand of mighty Elohim? This is Elohim that smote the Egyptians. That's how it translates in the Hebrew. And in Genesis chapter 1, what do we see? In the beginning, Elohim. In the beginning, Elohim, it's God in plural. The triune nature of God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And as New Covenant believers, we know that those who worship the Father worship Him in spirit and in truth. Truth, not without the Spirit. You see? And the Philistines, though they do not know the Lord, they remember his works. And so the Philistines, they Rally themselves for this fight. Look in verse 9. Be strong and conduct yourselves, conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines. That you do not become servants of the Hebrews as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. Exclamation point. It's a time of war. It's a time of war. And Israel in the first battle, they take casualties. And then the wise guys, the elders, they get this bright idea, treating the ark of the Lord like it's a good luck charm. They say, "Well, you know, let let let's 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 go get the ark of the Lord." And so they go where the priests are, Hophni and Phineas. And you think Hophni and Phineas, if the formula was right in them, they'd say, "No, no, 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 no." They would know all about formula if the formula was right in them, but because they become defunct, what do they do? Hey, we're on board. Elders, you got this bright idea? Hey, we're on board with that. And so now it's the second wave on the battlefield. Israel has the ark. And the Philistines, they're kind of like, you know, woe unto us. And then they rally themselves, you know, conduct yourselves like men and fight. Now, remember, we're in the Judges era. We're in the Judges era where we see oppression against Israel. But we know that that happens for a reason. It happens when the Lord has become forgotten. Remember our study in Judges. Very important. And we see how the Lord becomes forgotten, why the Lord becomes forgotten. And when the Lord has become forgotten, should we be surprised that the elders are treating the Lord like a good luck charm? Should we really be surprised? And so now you have the warriors of the Philistines and they're seriously getting ready to fight. I mean, when you have the bruisers getting ready for fight, you, you know, you, the, the the straight up bruisers, they're getting ready to fight. You better be sure the formula is right in you. You better be sure because you have the straight up bruisers and they're like, okay, you know what? Woe unto us. Woe unto us because they have the Ark of the Lord. And they're like, okay, you know, let's, you know, they they, they rally themselves and, The straight-up bruisers are getting ready for a fight. You better be sure the formula is right in you. You say, wait a second. Why why do you say the formula has to be right in me? Because this is the Old Testament and we're not a people of the Old Testament. We're not a people of the Old Covenant. Don't forget how our Lord himself warns us. Something we, it just so happens that we mention this in our Sunday study in in the book of uh, 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 Jude. How demons... Demons return to a person. Demons return to a person with other demons more worse than the original. And the demons return. again, when the bruisers are getting ready, you better be sure the formula is right in you. You see? Because we can look at this. Okay, 1 Samuel chapter 4. Okay, it's a time of war and the bruisers are getting ready for a fight and... What about you and me? When the bruisers are those of the demonic realm and they're getting ready for a fight, the fight has already begun and they know their time is short. Then you have demons worse than the original demons. Straight up bruisers. They hate Christians. They want all Christians to be dead. You see? Satan, the demons, they know they're going to burn in hell. What they want to do is drag God's people with them. They want to drag all of creation because God loves them. But the unsaved, they already have. You see? They hate the saved. And the church will take casualties. Very important to understand. And I don't say that it's like the, in the Calvinistic sense. Well, okay, well these people Satan has them, and you know we're the elect, so you know we're 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 good to go. No, we have the rescue mission. Don't forget. Satan is going to take people to hell, and he's doing it. But where are the warriors of the last days? We go out on our rescue mission, sharing the good news, being very wise. Remember, making a distinction. Remember our study in the book of Jude? Making a distinction and others save through the fire, save with fear as through fire. Remember? It's a straight up rescue mission. And so, yes, as warriors of the last days, yes, we have our shield. Yes, we have our sword. But don't forget our beautiful, beautiful fishing pole. But we have to be wise because the bruisers are out there. The demonic realm and the formula better be right. In you, in me, in all of us, it better be right. Because formula is wrong. Don't expect victory. Look at what we see here in 1 Samuel chapter 4. Formula way off base. The, 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 the people way off base. The elders way off base. The priesthood way off base. How can we expect victory in the camp of Israel when they are unclean before the Lord? You see? In verse 10, so the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated and every man fled to his tent. There was a very great slaughter and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. Whoa. It's sad. A time of war and no victory. A time of war and defeat. And we can't reserve this for the judges' era exclusively. Because when you look at the events of the last days, knowing that the church will take casualties, knowing that Lucifer will prevail against the saints, what does that say about the state of the church in the last days? What does that say about the state of the church? The state of Christians? The state of each individual saint? What does that say? And you have people who say, Oh, don't worry about it. We're going to be raptured out of here. Listen, this might come as a shock to you. We say it every now and then. But we do not teach a pre-tribulation rapture. We do not teach it. You want to know why? It's because you will not find it in the Bible. You will not find it in the Bible. And that's a shock to many Christians. But go and listen to our studies about the rapture, thewayunderground.com. Listen to our studies through the Thessalonian letters, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. And you'll see, you'll understand like, wow, it's, the pre-tribulation rapture, it's, I thought this guy was crazy, but I listened to these studies and you know what? It's not in the Bible. I hear it all the time. And today Christians say, well, it's not a salvation issue, so we don't need to argue about it. It's true. Very true. We don't need to argue about it, but it absolutely is a salvation issue. Absolutely. It's a salvation issue. You know why? Because today believers are saying it's okay to take the mark. It's okay to take the mark of the beast on the basis of the rapture being pre-tribulational, which is a theory. Unbiblical, it's a theory. On that basis alone, they're saying, listen, it's okay to take the mark because, you know, since we're still here, it's okay to take the mark in whatever form it is because we're still here. We haven't been raptured. And that officially makes it a salvation issue. Among other reasons, but this is a biggie. You see? Very important. Because, you know, sometimes we read the Bible and we're like, well, you know, this is, okay, you're just in the judge's era. This is Old Testament, so, you know, how does this pertain to me? And it's You know, it's Old Testament, so yeah, I'll read it just so I can get my chapter in for the day. But we have to understand what's happening. Remember, Brother Paul, he's the one who says these things of old. Peter too. These things of old are written for our warning, for our admonition. We have to learn. And so there was a great slaughter of the Hebrew people. Notice what happens here in verse 11. Also, also the ark of God was captured and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. See, the priests, now they're dead. Fulfillment! Fulfillment! This is precisely what the Lord said to Eli. Remember chapter 2? It's precisely what the Lord said to Eli. Very important to remember that the Lord didn't say it directly to Eli, the Lord to Eli. No, he said it was the Lord to Eli, but it was through a man of God. Very interesting. How could there be direct communication from the, with, with the Lord and Eli when Eli, he's on the wrong frequency? That's what happens when a person becomes defunct. How can you have ears to hear? How can you have eyes to see? You see? And Eli heard of the Lord, but it was through another man of God. I don't mean another, like, you know, like Eli is one, but another in terms of like, you know, an other man of God. Not Eli. You say, wait a second, he's high priest and... The Old Testament in Torah says that the Lord speaks to the high priest exactly. So why was the Lord silent with Eli? And when the man of the Lord spoke to Eli, it was words of judgment. You see? Remember chapter 2? In chapter 2, verse 34, Now this shall be a sign to you. That will come upon your two sons on Hophni and Phinehas. In one day, they shall die, both of them. You see, that's our study in chapter 2. And so here we are in chapter 4, where in verse 11, we see the ark of, the ark of God was captured. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas died. It's a day of fulfillment. It's happened. Fulfillment of the very thing that the Lord said to Eli through the man of God. And Eli doesn't know about it just yet because let's look at verse 12. Then a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line the same day and came to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. Symbolism of mourning, what we see with this man of Benjamin. And mourning, mourning is absolutely appropriate. Look what has just happened. Look what has just happened. Look at the casualties in the camp of Israel. But it's too late. It's too late. Amen. Where was this man of Benjamin when the elders got their bright idea to treat the ark as a good luck charm? Where was this man of Benjamin? Why was there no mourning then? Where were the priests? You see, Where were the priests who should have known why they lost the first battle from the get? Was there just one? Was there just one who could have said, hey guys, we're losing because we're not right with the Lord. We're suffering because we're not right with God. Was there just one? You see, It's too late. Yeah, this man of Benjamin, yes, he's he's mourning. He tore his clothes and dirt on his head. But it's too late. In verse 13, when he came, there was Eli sitting on a seat by the wayside, watching for his heart trembled for the ark of God. Very interesting what we see in Eli, the high priest. On the wayside, in the Hebrew, it translates as the trodden road or the trodden course of life. What does our Lord teach us? What does Jesus say to us in Matthew chapter five, verse thirteen? Matthew five, verse thirteen. You, you are the salt of the earth, but. You are the salt of the earth, but, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? How shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men trodden and trampled underfoot by men. That's what happens when salt loses its flavor. Notice, salt doesn't cease being salt. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, you see, You are the salt, but if the salt changes, are we to expect victory? I mean, we look at Eli, the high priest, and man, what a sad turn of events in his life. And we can look at this and be like, well, yeah, you know, that's that's too bad for Eli, and wow, I'm... I'm glad the Bible says this and wow, that's really bad for Eli. I I feel bad for Eli. But what about us? What about us? And I don't say this as a shame on you or shame on us. No, 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 no. I say it as a let us together, you and me. Let's stay the course the good path, the narrow path. And I only echo my friend Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. You see? Beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful Jeremiah. Teaching, exhorting about a very holy recipe. You see? So let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 4. And in 1 Samuel chapter 4, Eli, high priest, he's on the wayside now. And the messenger arrives in verse 13. And when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, what does the sound of this tumult mean? And the man came quickly and told Eli, Eli in verse 15, Eli was 98 years old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see. And we look at this, it's like, oh, but he's just an old man. Why doesn't the Lord show Eli compassion? Look, he's such an old man. And why doesn't the Lord show Eli compassion? Don't forget. He did. He did. God absolutely showed compassion in the house of Eli. Absolutely. Remember Eli? He was on the receiving end of God's mercy. Remember chapter 2? Eli was on the receiving end of God's mercy. Remember where the Lord in chapter two, did I not show you mercy? And you want to honor your sons more than me? You want to honor your sons more than me? Okay. Okay. You see, Eli made his choice. And God is simply responding. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. The Lord is reactionary. The Lord responds to obedience. The Lord responds to disobedience. The Lord responds to repentance. You say, but Eli, he's just a harmless old man. He's just a harmless old man. Look, he's just sitting right there. He's just an old man. Harmless? Harmless? Look at Israel. Look at the dead. The dead tell no tale. Let their blood testify of the wickedness in the house of Eli, good old priest. Harmless? In verse 16, then the man said to Eli, I am he who came from the battle and I fled today from the battle line. And he said, what happened to my son? Remember, at this particular juncture, Eli does not yet know that his sons are dead. In verse 17, so the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines and there has been a great slaughter among the people Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. Whoa. I wonder what what went through Eli's head as he heard the news of what has happened. The ark is captured. Israel slaughtered. His sons are dead. And I wonder if he remembered the words of the man of God who told him of coming judgment on the house of Eli. Judgment on Eli. The house of Eli. God's judgment. Don't forget, Eli and his house, his sons, they were on the receiving end of God's mercy. And they squandered it. They squandered it. Taking advantage of God's mercy. They squandered it. They squandered holy things, holy matters. They extinguished. You see? They quenched. In verse 18, then it happened. When he made mention of the Ark of God, that Eli fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. For the man was old and heavy, and he judged Israel forty years. Priest. Priest. Judge of Israel. And he failed miserably. Now he's 98 years old, remember, and there's a frailty to people at that age. But don't forget, he's heavyset. The man was old and heavy. We see in verse 18. I mean, if a if a you know a, a 90 pound elderly person falls, you know that's there's you know that there's probably something's gonna break, you know, because there's frailty to the elderly, but to the heavyset. I mean, something's going to break, but because of the weight, you know, it's going to be bad. And in the case of Eli, he fell down and broke his neck and he died. And you know what's sad? Among many things here, you know what's sad? It's one thing to be heavy. It's one thing to be heavy, sad and chubby. You know, that's one thing. But Eli, the high priest and his sons, wicked sons... They made themselves fat off the sacrifices and offerings of the people. Remember, chapter 2, verse 29, the Lord says, you know, not directly, but through the man of God, you make yourselves fat. You make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people. You see? It's one thing to be chubby, but to be chubby because you're taking the offerings of God's people, you see? I want to say something to the money preachers. If you're listening, if you just so happen to be listening and you're a money preacher, people make their offerings to the Lord. And you want to make yourself rich and fat from God's people? Remember Eli. Remember Eli and his broken neck. To the pastors who have sons as co-pastors and, you know, co-pastors, you know, the sons, they they have sons who are co-pastors and sons who are elders. Even daughters as co pastors and daughters as elders. Treating holy things as holy matters. The church as though it's a family business, like you have a shoe store and you're passing on a a family business. No, this is God's business. And to pastors who are treating church like it's a family business, remember Eli. Remember Eli the priest, and his broken neck. You see, God is not mocked. God is not mocked. We need to fear him. You see? And fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To the money preachers, remember Eli. To the defunct pastors who treat Church, like it's a carnal business. Remember Eli. God is not mocked. God is not mocked. Old, blind, and heavy Eli. He fell back, broke his neck, and he died. He finished miserable. A heavy, heavy cost for Israel, a heavy cost for his home, a trail of death and destruction. Remember, he's high priest. He's high priest. What in the world has happened? Remember Moses, our study in Exodus, Moses, when he's receiving the blueprints and you look at the priesthood, the things that the Lord put in place, you're like, wow, this is so beautiful. Moses comes out of the clouds, sees Joshua, they go down. What happened? You see Israel, the people, what happened with the golden calf? What happened? And then they get cleaned up. They get cleaned up. Repentance before the Lord. And then over and over and over and over, we see a lot of blood. Remember when Moses told Pharaoh, like, you know, Pharaoh's like, okay, fine, you know, leave. You guys get out of here, except leave the animals. And Moses says, no, 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 no. The Lord told us, Pharaoh, that when we leave, we take all the animals. And Moses even told Pharaoh, I don't even know why we need the animals, but the Lord says we need the animals. And now Moses knows, wow, there's a lot of sin, and blood atones for sin. You know, we need a lot of animals because there's a lot of sin. And now Moses knows. You see? And you look at the things that the Lord put in place for Israel to be clean before Him. And it's like, wow, this is so beautiful. And I'm not advocating the law in saying this. Remember, the law is still holy. It's the lesser glory because the greater glory is in the law's fulfillment. Jesus Christ, remember the low beams and high beams? Our study in uh, 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 Galatians and Hebrews, remember? Remember? It's so beautiful what the Lord put in place. And you have Israel clean before the Lord. It's so beautiful. You see the priests, and wow, you know, there's sin in the camp that, you know, activate the priests and everybody's clean. And okay, there's repentance, there's sacrifice, there's offering to the Lord. You know, the wave offering, the grain offering. All these things that the Lord put in place, atonement through blood, beautiful when everything's, yeah, there's sin here and sin here, but okay, the priest, okay, let's get you cleaned up. Yes, this person becomes a leper. It's like, okay, outside the camp, but let's get you cleaned up. You know, now you're clean. Okay, come back into the camp, atone and, you know, sacrifice and offering. It's so beautiful when things are functioning properly. Just like in the church era, always accounting for babies. Okay, let's get you cleaned up. Let's get you cleaned up. Everybody's clean before the Lord. It's so beautiful. But then you look at Eli. On the receiving end of God's mercy. His sons on the receiving end of God's mercy. In an era of time where the Lord has become forgotten. And then you look at the priesthood. What happened? Kohanim. The Levitical priesthood. What happened? We cannot reserve this to the Old Testament only. You know why? Because it's one of the signs of the last days when the Lord becomes forgotten. Defunct pastors, defunct elders, defunct churches. You see? Seven churches in the book of Revelation. And there's only two that the Lord doesn't say repent. Everybody else, he says, repent, 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 repent. Smyrna, Philadelphia, the only two that he says, you don't have to repent. Why? They have good teachers, good pastors. Let's get you cleaned up. Smyrna, the pastors, hey, let's get you cleaned up. Philadelphia, hey, let's get you cleaned up. You see? But among the defunct, trail of death and destruction, just like we see it in Eli, just like we see in his his, his wicked sons. we see in verse 19 here, Now his daughter-in-law, Phineas' wife, whoa, so Phineas was married? He had a wife and he was doing his sexcapades? He was doing his sexual stuff and he's married, he has a wife? Look at the wickedness. Look at the wickedness. He's a priest? He's with the ark. Remember the earlier verse here in chapter 4. He's with the ark. He's doing, he wants to do his sex. He wants to do his sexcapades. And he has a wife at home. It's so sad. How can Israel be clean with priests like this? How can Israel be clean? Look at the priests. They want to do their sex. They want to take, you know, make themselves fat from people's offerings. It's one thing to be chubby. To make yourself fat off of the people's offerings. Remember, they were treating the people like they were, you know, you know, oh, you know, I I, I don't like this kind of meat. So, you know, you're going to offer like this. And, you know, I want more fat. I like the, you know, I need a nice marble marbleization in the meat. And, you know, I want to have a nice, you know, nice ribeye tonight. So, you know, you're going to offer like this. And what are they doing? What has happened? And you got Phineas, he's married, he's got his wife at home, and he wants to do his sex. Remember? Where are the sons? Where's Hophni? Where's Phineas? Oh, look, there they are, they're with the women. How can Israel be clean? And Eli knew about the wickedness of his sons. He was complicit by failing to correct, to, failing to correct them. He was complicit in the wickedness of his sons, making himself wicked in the process. Remember chapter three, chapter three, verse twelve. In that day, I will perform against Eli all that have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. Remember chapter three, verse 13, for I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. Whoa. Good job, dad. Good job, dad. You failed. You see? Good job, dad. You failed. Your sons are dead. You're dead. And Israel has casualty upon casualty upon casualty. Good job, high priest. How in the world can Israel be clean before the Lord? With priests like this. I mean, you look at how we started. It's like, you know, it's a time of war and Israel loses. And when you understand formula, it's a time of war. Whoa, 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 whoa. You guys have no business going to war. You have no business going to combat because you're not ready. Oh, but we got our mighty warriors. Look, this guy can bench 500 pounds. Forget the muscles. Forget the numbers, forget the muscles, forget whatever. You know, you can carry a 50 pound sword. Okay, you know, the guy is strong. But the formula is wrong. You're unclean before the Lord. You cannot go to war like this. I meant to win. You can go to war like that if you want to die. You see, we have to understand what is happening. And it just so happens, we studied the book of Jude. It just so happens. Very important. Because as New Covenant believers, the war, it's getting more fierce. Every single day that passes, it's getting more fierce. And in the demonic realm, they're getting more bold. Where are the warriors? Where are the warriors of the last days? Where are the pastors? Where are the teachers of the last days? So the wife of Phineas here, poor wife, poor, poor wife. It kills me. It breaks my heart. Poor, poor wife. I wonder what she thought this whole time. You know, did she think, you know, oh, I have a godly man for a husband. Look, he's priest. Or did she know that her husband was a freak show? I wonder. I wonder what she was taught. If the priest would always tell her, hey, you have to submit to your husband, you have to submit to your husband, you have to submit to your husband. Listen, Wives, my beautiful sisters in Christ, submission to husband is a good thing, a beautiful thing. But in husband, the formula better be right. Never, ever forget the better husband. And I speak of Jesus Christ. Because your husband wants to do the sex and the pornography and all kinds of wickedness and come home and say, hey, you know what? I want you to perform like this. You cannot submit to that. A husband wants to do his crack and his alcohol and say, hey, you know what? Let's go out. Let's go out tonight. We're going to go get drunk. We're going to get baked and all these things. Wife, you cannot submit to that. I mean, you can if you want to lose. But for victory, for victory in Christ, You and me, we submit to the Better Husband, capital H. We submit to Jesus Christ. You see? Was there anyone to teach the wife and tell the wife about Zipporah? A beautiful, beautiful, godly woman who saved her husband. Remember, the Lord, he was going to kill Moses. He was going to kill Moses for the disobedience of Moses. He was going to kill him. And then you have beautiful Zipporah who steps in. Hey, husband, you want to go out on this? Uh, uh, you know, you think you're being obedient to the Lord? And our sons aren't even circumcised? You see? She picks up a sharp rock. Circumcision right there. She's hardcore. I'm so in love with Zipporah. She's hardcore. She saved her husband. She saved Moses. Because Moses, he would have been a hypocrite if he went off and, 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 and did his service unto the Lord, assumed obedience unto the Lord, but with uncircumcised kids. He would have been not just a hypocrite. He would have broken the law. You say, well, the Ten Commandments weren't given. Don't forget the law given to Abraham, circumcision. You see? Very important to understand. Zipporah saved her husband. And when he's right with the Lord, all of a sudden, look at what the Lord does. In Moses and through Moses, shepherd of Israel. Where did he learn to be a shepherd? Well, who was the shepherd in his life? See? Zipporah. Zipporah. Flock of Jethro. A lot of husbands like to get on a high horse. Hey, wife, you got to submit. You got to submit. You got to submit. Hey, listen, for my beautiful brothers in Christ, I love you, but don't be stupid. We're called to be loving, called to be gracious, called to be merciful, called to be forgiven. The Bible never calls anybody to be stupid. Very important. Husbands, don't be dumb. Don't be stupid. Amen. To win, to be victorious. If you want to be a loser, okay, be stupid. You want to lose in battles that in in on the battlefield that rages every single day. If you want to lose, okay, be stupid. But you and me, we have a choice to make. And I want you and me to honor the Lord. Not not today. Not tomorrow. For every single day of our lives that we honor the Lord according to His word and what the Bible says, not the preconceived notions, what the Bible says. You see? And now with the wife of Phinehas, now she has a dead husband judged by God. Verse 19, let's continue. She's with child. She was with child. Phineas' wife was with child due to be delivered. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and gave birth for her labor pains came upon her. The sorrow was so intense that it induced Labor. In verse 20, and about the time of her death, about the time of her death, such sorrow that it induces labor and she dies. But right before her passing, look what happens. About the time of her death, the women who stood by her said to her, Do not fear, for you have borne a son. But she did not answer, nor did she regard it. Then she named the child Ichabod, Ichabod. She named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel. Because the ark of God has been captured and because of her father-in-law and her husband. Whoa, the glory has departed from Israel. Ichabod, you know what that means in the Hebrew? No glory. No glory. And it's so sad what's happened. It never had to be this way. It never had to be this way. The things that the Lord put in motion many moons ago, so beautiful, so that Israel can be clean before the Lord. But when the formula is wrong, look what happens. When salt loses its flavor, look what happens. Ichabod, no glory. In verse 22, in closing, and she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. So sad what's happened. And praise the Lord for Samuel the prophet. Praise the Lord for all the prophets in the Old Testament. Praise the Lord that he has these messengers of righteousness. But what we cannot overlook is the defunct priesthood. You see, I meant the very fact that the Lord uses prophets, and praise the Lord that He does, but the very fact that He uses prophets and the writers of the Old Testament, by and large, are the prophets. Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Amos, Joel, Zephaniah, Zechariah. Praise the Lord that he has these men in place. But where are the priests? And for our era, 2023 AD, for our era, era, there is also a defunctness among pastors and teachers and elders and ministries among whom the glory has departed. But there's also a remnant. There is also a remnant. A people who know their God. To the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful people of the way. A remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.